1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. You're listening to the Ask Brian Radio Show on KHS 1220 and 98.1 uh-huh. Well, each week, every Thursday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time or wherever you're located, we have a great, great show and we discuss business. But everybody asks us the question, why is it called Ask Brian since my name is not Brian? People don't know that. And why are you spelling Brian, B-R-I-E-N when... Most people spell the name B R I N or B-R-Y-A-N. So each week we go through, in case you have never listened to the show before, we try to explain to you why, why we have an E in As Brian, and we have an expert on E's, and is she around, Tracy? Yes, I am here, in an excellent mood, I might say. Well, that's an E right there. Yes, it is. <laughs>
0: And you are an egghead for being so smart about that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get on to the real E's. So, one of the reasons why we like to focus on the E's is because we are all about educating entrepreneurs. Did you see what I did there? Bundling two in one sentence. Actually, is that,
1: that E squared?
0: Yes, and I just made it E would because I said efficient afterwards, so you gotta you got to stay real sharp to keep up with me now.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know if that was efficient to, by combining it, because sometimes it's easier when people hear each one on its own, as opposed to throwing it all into one sentence, and they get all confused what it's all about.
0: Oh, well, that is true, and especially with the word expert, which we really like to have it stand on its own. Because our experts stand on their own, they are experts in their industry, and we even have a formula of what qualifies them to be an expert on the Ask Brian show. For the formula, it would be so much easier if it was E equals MC squared, but we'll dive dive into the real formula, which is most experts have an average of 10,000 hours or more in their Industry or their area of expertise and that is typically, and I use the word typically emphatically because it is typically calculated based on 40 hours a week, 50 per weeks a year over the course of five years. But you and I, as we always discuss and never leave out, most entrepreneurs haven't seen a 40 hour work week since they left their corporate gig. So they are investing way more time, way faster, and getting up to that ten thousand hours. Probably closer to like a three-year window of time if we had to really, you know, do that math consistently. But that is our formula, and it has turned out to be very accurate for the experts we've had on the show.
1: Well, you know, today's a guest not only does he qualify, I'm sure, as an entrepreneur doing that, but as his original profession of being an ER doctor. I'm sure he had probably that many hours in the first week. I mean if there were that many hours in the week.
0: <laughs> yes, because goodness knows the amount of hours spent in undergrad, graduate, medical school in
1: I was referring to residency, but yeah.
0: Residency, yes. I called it apprenticeship. I knew that was not the right word. But yes, absolutely. And then getting into specialty niche as well. So yes, definitely more than ten thousand hours, no doubt about it. And you know what else is really important to the success of an entrepreneur and the E that we like a lot? You mentioned energy, but you have a word that you really like a lot that has to do with enthusiasm. And
1: excitement! (laughs) (laughs) I have to interrupt, though, because the biggest E has been left out and our engineer started to cry. I could see the tears coming down. Just a I little, little bit. Andrew.
2: I'm doing great. Back, Even yeah,
1: though I didn't say anything yeah. about the mean, engineer that yeah. wants a show? Again, she forgets me every time.
0: I was,
1: no, I was saving the best for last. Best oh, for last. Oh, was, I was I'll, I'll remember that when we talk about Grease Lightning. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, was, I was saving the collective
0: <laughs> best for last. No, okay. We could not be doing the show without our superstar engineer. Thank you, Andrew, very much. Thank you. Thank you. you.
1: Never forgotten. Because why?
0: You want to know why? Because you are electrifying.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you there, Andrew.
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, without further what? Well, hold on. I'm sorry.
1: I'm sorry, but... Not only did you save that to last, but our lead word has always been, and you always even attack me for this, is don't you empathize?
0: Oh, gosh, why is it that I always leave that one out? Oh,
1: that's too much of a softball for me. You don't want me to give me a fat pitch like that.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, we express a lot of empathy on this show, even if it doesn't sound like it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get into our guest, because we have such a great topic today and such a great guest. So
1: I would say without further ado,
0: Adieu. A-D-I-E-U, and it's your favorite word, because?
1: It has all vowels except for one consonant, and there is an E in it. Okay, awesome. <laughs> let's,
0: let's get on with this thing.
1: Well, I don't know if you go by the word doctor or your first name, so I'm going to ask you, how do you want me to address you? You
2: can call me Dr. Greg. That'll keep everyone straight. And I just got to say, this has been really
1: enjoyable so far. Another E? (laughs) (laughs) And exceptional. Appreciate that. So, Dr. Greg, first of all, people don't know, you know, obviously they know you about your profession. But let's let's go a little bit about your background. So you you were a doctor for how many years?
2: Yeah. So uh, I practiced emergency medicine for 15 years. And Tracy, exactly right. It was serial 10,000-hour expertise cycles, and there were multiples of them, and to your point, they were compressed into a pretty short time
1: period. Well, that's how you gain experience, another E. Now, you were practicing in an ER situation or in your own practice after you became yeah. a doctor?
2: Yeah, right. So, trained in the UCLA system in emergency medicine after attending medical school, trained three to four years in emergency medicine UCLA. And then after that, went and into private practice and we had contracts with hospitals to provide emergency services. So both practice as a physician and then over time, you know, led the practice with a managing partner onto hospital leadership. So really worked my way through the system and, you know, built up a ton of experience throughout really the the inpatient side of care and uh, the emergency medicine side of care before I took off on my entrepreneurial journey.
1: So I don't want to spend too much time on the, on the medical part in a sense, but I want to understand when you became a managing person in the medical practice, did you have to reduce significantly the amount of time to were practicing medicine to spend more time on the management marketing side? Or was it you still did the same level of medical working and then you know just added on the management on top of that?
2: <laughs> well, it's medicine. So the answer is yes, kept that full time and then just added more hours on top. That's how medical training was. I think medical training has evolved, thank God, over the last decade or so where the hours are more uh, humane. But in terms of you know running a practice, leading a practice, that work was uh, added on top of really the same clinical load that my partners would have. And that was just understood, and and um, you know it was worth it because really enjoyed, uh, really really enjoyed both aspects of practice and then the management side as well.
1: So normally I would go through more history here, but we do want to get really into the show. So the first question is, what is the name of your current company that you're working on that you're a founder?
2: Yeah, Brian. So the name of my current company is Clinexus. G L I N N E X U S. Think Nexus.
1: And how long has that been around? So Collective
2: has been uh, around for three years now, founded three years ago, and uh, operational over the last two years.
1: And, and what do they do?
2: So I'll keep it simple. This is part of being an entrepreneur in healthcare, especially you're your position, is to try and learn how to explain healthcare concepts, which can be really complex in simple ways. So simply, we address the broken handoffs in healthcare, meaning... Patients come out of the hospital, that period right after the hospital and before they're really engaged with their primary care doctor is a really fraught and dangerous time for patients. It's when they're the most vulnerable. So we step in with a remote solution. We partner with primary care practices, the hospital, and we provide coordination services for patients so that they can, gosh, get transportation to and from their primary care appointments, make sure they have their medications, make sure that they have family support. So we're really closing that huge gap, one could call it a chasm, between a hospital stay and getting them back under the direct care of their primary care doctor.
1: So this does not include or doesn't include rehab? Because sometimes people go to the hospital and then they have to go to a rehab unit for 60, 90 days or 30 days. Uh, is it rehab or rehab not included?
2: It's both, right? It's both. So we could go much deeper, but it's after it's a post-hospital time period, but it could be also a patient coming out of longer term rehab, like a skilled nursing facility or any environment where they're having intensive care and then they're going to be leaving that environment. We're there to make sure that they have all the resources and all the support they need to be successful.
1: And are you the only founder or are there other founders in the company?
2: I'm a co-founder. So there's another founder, Dr. Kevin Fickenshire, who's really a a visionary in primary care, did a lot of work in rural health and communities that don't have a lot of support and resources like the ones that we're providing. So between my emergency medicine practice and Dr. Fickenshire's experience around primary care and seeing those gaps, that's how we came up with ClinXus.
1: And what were you doing right before you started ClinXus?
2: Well, I'm a serial entrepreneur. So 15 years ago, I felt like I learned enough as an emergency physician, Brian, to really understand how healthcare was broken and and really firsthand, you know, working in the emergency room at two in the morning, you'll learn a lot about what's not working. And so I had a list. I had a list of problems that I wanted to go out and solve beyond the four walls of the hospital. And so I did that. Before this company was was involved in, we built a digital platform. So basically providing services through your phone for people going through recovery or people trying to stop using opiates or other drugs like that. And so, you know, the theme being providing access to care and really helping people when they're the most vulnerable. So that was the previous couple before Planexus, but a lot of the same themes around creating access for people that are generally being underserved.
1: And do you deal with specifically with consumers or, or insurance companies or multi-level practices? Yeah,
2: that's a good question. So we, our customer, large primary care networks, uh, has been our, really our initial customer and our focus. But over time, we also provide a lot of value for payers. You know, insurance companies, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, those companies that pay for services, they also place a high premium. Or uh, place a lot of value in that that period when people come out of hospitals. That's a that's an area of huge cost for payers, and so our services are valued by them. So they're also a customer.
1: So, question I have is, what was the biggest challenge in starting this business? I think with Brian, with any in healthcare especially,
2: I think for any entrepreneur, there's a lot of ideas out there, and there are a lot of great ideas, right? And there are a lot of great ideas that will work well in a business context, right? You'll be able to impact, improve people, quality of people's lives, you know, generate revenue and make money. But I'll tell you, one of the biggest challenges for an entrepreneur is taking that oftentimes very complex models or ideas and distilling it down into language that an investor, especially investor, if you're starting a company, you need capital. And yeah, you can self-fund or bootstrap, but when you want to go and scale something really large and impactful, when you're ready to do that, You've got to be able to articulate that in very simple terms to an investor. And I'll be honest with you, that's one of probably the biggest obstacles for an entrepreneur, especially in the healthcare world, which is, you know, the U.S. healthcare system is so complex, so fragmented, so disconnected that a lot of the times if you're explaining your product or what you're working to do, one of the biggest obstacles is just telling the story. And so you really got to work on your story. And, and that's probably the first thing you need to be able to do.
1: So, Your story, you're referring to the pitch. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, I think, yeah, you could say the pitch. And that you'd be in pitching investors and being able to take, you know, again, complex subject and, and distill it down into something that's simple.
1: So how did you find your first customer?
2: Well, you know, I, again, I think it gets back to, being in healthcare myself, being a physician, so as a physician, you have some credibility out of the gate in the clinical world. And then, you know, also having to be built serially healthcare startups and healthcare companies that are all operational, profitable, some getting quite large, you build up a network. And so, thankfully, I'm, you know, we on our team, we're no more than one or two degrees of separation from any health system, any payer. And so, we can get in and get those introductions. We found a fantastic anchor partner for this company in Central California, you know, the largest market in the country, fourth largest economy in the world. So we've been really focused in California, and that's where we found our first customer.
1: Are there any scalable issues in the sense of the medical laws? Because I know the laws are different from state to state. So did you have, any, have to deal with any, any legal issues going from California to other states? I mean, is there a separate insurance carrier in each state and various things by state? How did that affect you?
2: Yeah, Brian, such a great question. I would just say there are always those barriers in healthcare going state to state. Because, you, for example, and not to get too technical for the group, but I know you're you're a lawyer, so you'll understand this. One is the corporate practice of medicine. And there's huge variance in terms of how that's interpreted from state to state. So if you're practicing, you know, if someone's practicing, not as much of an issue for this company, but certainly other experiences I've had, if you're practicing in California and Florida, you're going to have a huge difference in terms of how they interpret how you practice and what's legal in terms of delivering services and healthcare. The other issue is, is thinking of your employment law, right? So for us, we're a remote solution. So we might have a care coordinator who lives in Florida who is supporting a patient and a doctor in California. So we've got to adjust for not only the corporate practice of medicine, but we also have to factor in any labor laws connected to that person who may be working out of Florida or they may be working out of California. So again, that adds on to the complexity of doing business in healthcare.
1: As an entrepreneur, and we're dealing with medicine, I mean, can you apply standard entrepreneur practices to the medical field since it is a regulated area?
2: Yeah, you just have to be very mindful. I would just say, if you get out of bed and you're building companies that improve outcomes that matter to patients, right? Keep them out of the hospital, help them avoid the emergency department, quality of life, and you do that and you control costs and be are mindful of costs, if you use that as your North Star, you'll generally be pretty successful in navigating the complexities.
0: All right. Something that I noticed when I was meeting you to for you to come on the show as a guest, is that not only are you an MD, Dr. Greg, but you also have an MBA, which I find to be, A, very impressive, but also probably pretty uncommon, would I be correct in that assumption?
2: Well, I think it's becoming more common for some of the reasons we've already discussed, and that's, that's physicians realizing that they just were underprepared to be successful on the business side of healthcare, and they, they wanted to be You know, they wanted to master their own destiny. And for a lot of physicians, they just don't have the tools to do that. And so we're seeing more and more physicians studying it for an MBA. We're seeing now more combined MBA programs where you can get an MBA while you're getting your MD. I don't know if I would have been able to do that. That would have been a lot of work at the time. But for me, it was doing that after I'd gone out into the business world. And I just realized, you know, I need to add some more tools to my belt. So that was one
0: of the questions that I wanted you to dig a little deeper and if you're comfortable with and that is the timing because A to your point, that's a lot of school to do all that at one time. I mean, I think that was literally like your mind would like implode. But at the same time, I'm curious as as was it always part of your long term trajectory to go through medical school, practice medicine, and then ultimately do an entrepreneurial path with an MBA? Or do you feel like it was a direct result of the, all of the changes that have happened in the healthcare arena?
2: I think it was the latter. I mean, I trained probably a generation or so ago, and at the time, not a lot of physicians were, were pursuing MBAs. Not a lot of physicians were really thinking about life beyond you know, direct clinical practice. So it wasn't even, for me, it wasn't even necessarily something I'd contemplated until I'd worked my way through emergency department leadership and hospital leadership. And I felt like I'd done it, accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish in that. And then as I waded out into, the, into more of the business world or the business side of healthcare, you know, for me, it was, I really needed to, to add on some more tools onto the belt. So that process, gosh, it was probably two or three years after I'd started, been involved in, started my first company in healthcare, that uh, is, we scaled that up and started, you know, talking to investors and talking to people that knew a whole lot more about finance than I did, that I knew that I needed to have uh, some more expertise behind so that I can be successful negotiating and doing a lot of the things that you need to do to really be, you know, I had the clinical piece down, could understand the, pro- the problems in healthcare, but the financial side... Ultimately, it it was the the big, big part that I knew that I needed to address.
0: Yes. Well, and I mean, I think it just makes you so much more balanced as both a doctor and an entrepreneur. There's no doubt about that. It was worth the time, energy, resources, and commitment that you made in that way. So I want to, again, pivot just a bit from that because what you're saying the pathway of being a doctor, the pathway of being a business owner, no matter how much school you have, there's still the tactical, practical things that you have to learn in the practice, right? And one of those things that can come difficult for some, easy for others, is leadership. So that's something, really good leadership skills are something that they can't teach you as you're getting your MBA. So a question I have for you is, What are some of the challenges that you faced in leading a team and what have maybe even have been some of the rewards that you've experienced doing
2: that? Oh, Tracy, that's such a great question. (laughs) There's a book, it's a bit dated now, and certainly I don't know that it's, I don't know that it would be a book that a lot of people would read, but there was a book called The House of God that was, that came out decades ago and, and it was, uh, it's pretty funny now, but it, it, and there's some, there's some reality to it and that is oftentimes physicians, uh, MDs especially, can build up a bit of an ego in terms of the world. Now, thankfully, a lot of that has become less so, but a lot of ego around going to medical school, residency, and being told, quote-unquote, how smart you are, and having really as much, as much impact around patient care and hospital, you know, running up hospitals, administration stuff. So, But what you quickly learn when you move out of that environment and you go to maybe start your own business, uh, start a new venture, and start to lead teams that don't come out of that structural element of, of medicine, you learn that ego doesn't necessarily serve you well. And I think there's a transition I went through, and I think there's a transition that a lot of physicians go through where you need to transition into being more of a, ideally, more of a servant leader. Practicing humility. One of the E words you called out earlier, empathy. Elements that maybe not necessarily a lot of positions have developed in their career. But once you move out into the world of entrepreneurship, running your own business, leading people, that's probably one of the biggest predictors of your success, which ultimately, you know, emotional intelligence and those elements are often a huge transition point, but absolutely critical in being successful. I love
0: that. You know, that book has been such a great resource. There's definitely a couple of oldies but goodies. I'm a huge Stephen Covey fan myself, and that, that yes. you know, I literally believe that the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And matter the fact that it's probably ancient, ancient at this point in time, considering publication date, it's still one of the best evergreen books that you can fall back to learn about running and managing a business or a team. And you seem to have an amazing team. So, my first question is. When did you know it was time to start adding to your team? I think that's a big challenge a lot of entrepreneurs face. They seem to do a lot of things themselves and have a chicken and egg egg syndrome about when to add people to their team. So when did you know that you needed to build out a team?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think to be successful as an entrepreneur, you need to understand when to pull that value into your organization, right? If you bring in an engineer or a product lead, Early on, you know, at 150000 bucks a year or got in California, more than that, you can do your business. So you really have to understand what is the most valuable piece that you need to pull in to move the business forward. And then you need to understand the levers of compensation. I want to go deep into this, but the levers of compensation. You give them equity. Is it take-home pay? Is it benefits? And early in a startup, you may only have equity, so you've got to be very judicious and thinking about who you bring into the organization to make the most impact and drive the most value for where you are.
1: Thanks a lot. Uh, and I was actually talking to Dr. Irwin, saying, you know, how Legal Steps is so valuable in the sense that you could actually, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, one of the first things you need to do when you're starting up is you want to probably form a corporation or an LLC to protect yourself from liability and not become personally liable. And I was just talking to the doctor earlier today about, wow, it'd be great to have had that concept when we were starting out. What what do you think about that?
2: Yeah, indeed. I think it's underestimated that corporate governance, building that legal foundation for your startup is so critical. And I think a lot of people will get deep into, for example, a co-founder relationship, and they didn't do that work on the front end, that legal work on the front end, and, and that just compounds issues over time. So
0: absolutely, can't do that work
2: early enough.
1: Thanks a lot. And Tracy, you had some more questions?
0: Yes, so we were right before the break, we were talking about leadership and some really great resources, actually, on learning more about leadership. You've gotten a lot of practice at it now. You have failed your team. Can you walk us through some of the key positions on your team and how they add value, not only to the business, but to your bottom line?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think for our company, a lot of Probably the most important element of what we do, well, certainly there's the patient-facing piece, which is number one, right? And that is bringing on frontline care coordinators, the the individuals that are going to be touching families, patients directly. That's a critical piece. And, And hiring people that, a lot of the stuff we've already discussed, hiring people that have the certification, they have the qualifications, but do they also have the empathy? Can they communicate? are they patient? Are they emotionally intelligent? Because invariably, you're going to be dealing with people when they're very vulnerable, very scared. And so you got to recruit and hire team members that can really connect with and understand those individuals. So that's a critical element of what you're building. On the more management side of things for us, as a co-founder and CEO, it depends on what time of day you might talk to me, I would be wearing a different hat, right? So I might be working on a pitch deck for an investor, and then I might be Oh, gosh, working on running payroll. You do a lot of that yourself, but then you're right. Then you need to start building and developing your team. For us, it was critical that we had a lot of what we do in our, in our business is the transfer and exchange of information in healthcare. So for us, we needed to bring in an information officer, a CIO, that could really help us manage information, manage data but also doing it in a compliant manner, right? Because people's health records are so critical and, and, and they to be protected with the utmost care. So making that investment in an informatics league, uh critical for us. And then also some of the nursing leadership for our company, um, we realized that, you know, going from organization to organization in terms of our partnership, we needed nursing leadership that could speak the language of our partners and make sure that um, as we, rolled the business out with a partner, that we had clinical folks that could speak the language, and that we had informatics lead that could also speak the language of both IT and informatics with our partners. So those were some decision points for me as the CEO of the company that I needed to make. And then in terms of the sequencing and the timing, there's a lot of complexity there, but again, it really gets back to maximizing value on that investment uh, in personnel.
0: That is so inspiring just to know that you've got such a solid amount of people behind you moving you forward in the right direction. Of course, no one can do that, and you can't move forward without people knowing about you. So I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about your marketing strategy because you've got all of those other amazing elements in place, the right people on the bus, the right bus, you're driving the bus. But unless people can find you and, and you can get customers, that becomes a challenge for, to generate revenue. So tell us a little bit about your marketing strategy.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it really starts if It to go back to our go-to-market strategy. And for us, it, it has been go into an area that we identified has the most need. So for us, Central California is an area where it's been uh, historically under-resourced. And so go into an area where that, there's that need. And ideally, identify that anchor customer. I think people get ahead of themselves when they start a business. You know, Airbnb started as two guys with one apartment, and they scaled that up slowly. And I think a lot of people think that you need to build a hugely scalable business right out of the gate, and it's really not the case. Ideally, find that one customer that you can just go to school and understand them. But also, you build up credibility with them. Because especially in B to B to C, which is what we are, business to business to customer, really it's about introductions and it's building up a network or an ecosystem where you can get referrals within that ecosystem. So that's number one for us. You can't deny the power of social media. LinkedIn for me, you know, I have time blocked off each week where I'm making sure that, that what I'm building in social media and LinkedIn is going to be connecting me to potential customers.
0: Uh, Yes. So, this conversation has been so compelling, and I truly wish we had a lot more time to continue it because I know you have a lot more gems that you could drop for our audience today. But if they want to continue this conversation with you, Dr. Gregg, what would be the best way for our audience to reach out and connect with you?
2: I think the easiest way would be go to Conexus.com. So that's C-L-I-N-N-E-X-U-S dot com, and you can submit and uh, submit through that, and uh, it's really pretty straightforward, and uh, that'll connect you with me.
0: That sounds great. Okay, everybody, if you want to play this episode back, which we all know you cannot do with live radio, but you can do it with a podcast. So if you want to play this back, make notes, get in touch with Dr. Greg, get in touch with Producer Podcast, get in touch with Legal Steps, get in touch with Peter. Although I'm not sure why you would want to do that. Just kidding. Um,
1: <laughs> How about Legal Steps?
0: <laughs> I did say Legal Steps. I said Legal Steps before Peter, but let's say it again. Legal Steps. What is <laughs> a Z. And you'll find the link in the show notes for that. But speaking of podcasts in all seriousness, we would love it if you were to go to wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. That's Apple, that's Spotify, that's Google, that's iHeart. We're on all the platforms as the Ask Brian. And of course, that's A-S-K-B-R-I-E-N, the Ask Brian podcast. And download, follow... Take a listen to our previous experts in our previous episodes and, yeah, give us some of those amazing reviews, five stars preferably, and let us know what you would like to hear more of on the podcast, too. We'd love to hear from you.
1: Thank you, Tracy. So, Doc, we have exactly two minutes left, and you're going to tell us the three most important traits of an entrepreneur. <laughs> stamina. 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 <laughs> Well, I was gonna say tenacity, so we're pretty close. <laughs> well yeah, yeah, it's in there. It's in it's in the ballpark. <laughs> okay, that's great. But even if you have stamina, even if you had tenacity and you keep on trying something, you know, you could be a hamster on a wheel. What differentiates yeah. a successful entrepreneur?
2: Yeah, a successful entrepreneur, you've got to be ready to adjust. You've got to be able to course correct, and you've got to be able to communicate that vision as you make those course corrections. So Communication is a is a critical a critical piece as well,
1: and stamina, tenacity, and the third one was what? I think I was, I was saying. Uh, in
2: communication. You've got to be able to communicate your vision. You have stamina, and then you've got to be able to you've got to be able to adjust. You've got to be able to course correct.
1: And what do you think your best skill is? Team building
2: is certainly, uh, It's certainly. I think it's the most valuable part for me, and uh, I think it's, if, if I've had any success, it's been my ability to build teams and create a cohesive vision and lead that team forward.
1: That's interesting because when I first met with my first VC, venture capitalist, the first thing they told me was, what are you going to do with your money? And I said, I'm going to hire people smarter than I am. And they all looked at me <laughs> and said, good answer, good answer.
2: <laughs> That's exactly right. And that They're is part of team building. Servant leadership.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it shows that you're, you're humble too, right? You know, You realize you might be a very smart person, but that doesn't mean you're egotistical enough to not understand that. All right, unfortunately, we got to go. The show is over. Thank you very much, Doc. Thank you, Tracy. You'll see KHS 1220, 98.1 FM, the Ask Brian Show.
0: Over and out. Thank you for tuning in to the Ask Brian radio show. You can listen to us every Thursday on KTHS AM 1220 and FM 98.1 or via Facebook Live or anytime wherever you listen to your podcasts.